was after my wife's sister's wedding, and we had to do the family pictures, and we did that, and then the private bus came to pick up everybody in the wedding party and take them out to dinner. The bride wanted to go to a hibachi restaurant, because why just get dinner when you can have dinner and a show, because I don't care how many times you've seen the volcano onions and the egg roll joke. It's always good. So we, or at least I think so. So we were, we were on our, we were, we were gathering around right after the pictures and talking and I said where we were going for dinner and I recalled from my childhood in high school taking dates to said restaurant that they do not take reservations. And it was a Saturday night and there was a wedding party of 18. Wonderful. So I'm like, hey, uh, they don't take reservations, right? And they're like, no, but we called ahead. And me not being one to want to ruin somebody's big day said, what does that exactly entail? Calling ahead to a restaurant that doesn't take reservations. To which they replied, well, we let them know we're coming in. And I said, well, that was mighty nice of you. Wonderful. That does nothing to get me fed sooner. And at this point, I don't know the owner of the restaurant, so I don't really care from their standpoint. All I care about is the fact that we've just been at a wedding, and now we've had to stand around for pictures. I'm getting a little hot, and I'm starting to get hungry. And when I'm hot and hungry, it turns into hangry very quickly. (laughs) Taking that and factoring in the fact that we were leaving town the next morning, we had no desire to be out all night. So I, I, I talked to Brooke, and I'm like, hey, I'll follow, I'll follow the bus, and we'll go to the restaurant, and you know, we'll hang out, we'll eat dinner, we'll, we'll hug everybody, we'll tell them we're so happy for you, it's good to see you, we got to hit the road early in the morning, you know, great. I'm, it's not our wedding, nobody cares. We can get out of there, it'll be perfect. In fact, they'd probably prefer it that way, because I remember literally dragging Brooke out of our wedding reception. I'm like, it is time to go. Let's go. I really did. Uh, and and uh, so I just said, I'll, I'll follow the bus. Great. So we finish up the pictures. Everybody loads on the bus. Brian, are you coming on the bus? No, I'm just going to follow you. We got to hit the road early tomorrow. It's fine. It's fine. Start following the bus. Apparently, they were paying this driver by the hour because he was going 10 miles an hour under the speed limit. Not to say that I'm one to ever go over the speed limit, but I'm, I'm, I'm right at the speed limit. Right at the speed limit. I don't, now, now great, I don't always look down at, at the speedometer, so occasionally it's my foot. My foot gets tired sometimes, so it might press the gas. Not that I'm intending to, okay? Not that I'm intending to. But 10 miles an hour under the speed limit, that's a foreign world to me, and a world I did not enjoy living in. And as he takes the first couple turns, I realized, well, I haven't been to this restaurant in a number of years, but I still know how to get there better than said driver. Because he's, he's taking a route that made no logical sense, and he should have gone straight, and he made a left-hand turn, and I'm like, oh, we're in trouble. He doesn't, he doesn't know what he's doing. And so I, I, tried to, I tried to call somebody on the bus, because 
I wasn't on the bus, but clearly said driver didn't know where he was going and they were busy. So they didn't answer the call. And then when he took the wrong turn, he took us on a way that was not only the wrong way to go, but was under construction. So now we've gone 10 miles an hour under the speed limit. We've taken a wrong turn, and now we are in a construction zone where there are normally numerous lanes of traffic all down to one lane of traffic. At 6.30 p.m. on a Saturday night with a party of 18 at a restaurant that does not take reservations, but we called ahead to let them know we're coming in even though it does no good. We pulled on the interstate. And in Ohio, there's minimum speed limits on the interstate. And I know that because they're posted on a separate speed limit sign and also because that's how fast the bus was traveling. And I said, I can't do it anymore. God did not wire me this way. And I passed the bus and I went to the restaurant and I had to park a few blocks away and there's a massive line. And, and I went in and I said, hey, I'm, I'm here from the wedding party that called ahead. And they're great. They said, great, we'll put you on the list now. To which I just said, what is the point of calling ahead. And the poor, the poor girl who's taken the names just kind of looked at me and said, well, to let us know you're coming. And I said, wonderful. I'm so glad we could let you know. She said, is everybody from your wedding party here? I said, why? She said, because I can't put you on the list until everybody from the wedding party is here. I said, how long's the wait? She said, 45 minutes. I straight up lied. I straight up lied. I shouldn't have. I should have found a way to should have found a way to lawyer it somehow. I just I lied. I'm sorry. I did. I shouldn't have, but I did. I'm like, yeah, everybody's here. 30 minutes later, everybody still wasn't there and I'm starting to get nervous. Well, a little bit of it was conviction for lying and the rest was, uh-oh, I'm about to be found out in my lie. Now what am I going to do? And I I I'm calling them like, "Where are you?" Said bus driver took two wrong exits off the interstate, and the father of the bride had to go up and direct the bus driver how to get to the restaurant. They unload. Five minutes later, we've got 10 minutes to spare, and I'm here to tell you, it didn't matter anyways, because that 45 minutes from the restaurant was a lie back to me. It wasn't 45 minutes. It was an hour and a half. So they're like, we'll see your lie, and we'll bless you with a lie. And that's what it was, just a giant circle of sin and misery, and that's why I tell you all the time, don't do it. Follow God's way. It's better. It's better. I didn't, and I wish I had. I was hangry, and it was taking forever, and I just wanted things to hurry up. Because there was food to be had, and I was hungry. Today, we're going to finish our look at the books of First and Second Thessalonians. And this morning, we see the final words that we have that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church, this church of people who just made the decision to follow Jesus, this church of people who, after they made the decision to follow Jesus, found themselves enduring heartache, found themselves in the midst of situations that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy, and who started asking questions, started asking, were we doing something wrong? 
Why would we, if, if God loves us, why would we endure this? Why would we go through all of these things? And today we're going to see the last, the last part of the letter in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. So if you have your phones or your Bible apps, we'd encourage you to follow along there where we start in verse 1 and read these words. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. Pray for us that God would use us to accomplish His work through us. And it, it just is a reminder to us that prayer is so essential to any great work of God. That prayer is so essential to any great work of God. And it, it, should, it should force all of us to pause and ask ourselves some questions. The first is this. Are we depending upon God or are we depending upon our own abilities? Are we depending upon God or are we depending upon our own abilities? And the thing is that a lot of us have, we have abilities and we have talents that God has given us. So what do we do? We plan and we ruminate and we publicize. We put everything out on social media and we put it up all to ourselves and the plans and the ruminations and all the publications that we can do. We, we sit down and we, we think through things and we plan them out. We chart the course. We put them all over social media and we, we just we put out everything. And if we're not careful, we rely solely on ourselves. And the whole time, God's saying, you can accomplish more if you bring me into this. You can do more if I'm at the center. And it, the, the reason this is so dangerous is because it's so subtle. It's subtle in our lives. It can be subtle in our ministries. It can be subtle in everything. Because outwardly, we would, we would be the first to admit, God, we need you. We need you to intervene in this situation. We need you to intervene in, in whatever we're facing. But if we're not careful, the thing that is of the utmost importance, that is prayer and us inviting God into our uncertainty and inviting God into, into our need, the thing that is most important can become our last priority. And it's a reminder for us that here, as, as, as Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica, he's saying, pray for us. Don't lose sight of this. God, we need you. We need you to work. We can accomplish a lot on our own, but it's nothing compared to what we can accomplish when we invite you in and have you work through us. And, and what did he want them to pray for? That the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. That, the, that Scripture, I mean, Scripture is the basis for all that we proclaim. It's the basis for all that we proclaim. And he's asking them, pray for us, that we can take the message of hope that we have, and we can help people understand the way in which they should conduct and live their lives so that they can experience the, the blessing of God in their life, pray for us that we can take that message to as many people as possible, that we can speed ahead with that message. And he continues in verses 2 and 3, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. 
He just says, we're opposed by people. We're opposed by people. We're opposed by those who do not want the work of God to go forth. And we just have to remember that there are people who who are evil in this world, and we see that all the time. It It doesn't really catch us by surprise that much anymore. And people will debate, is it because of the internet? And really it's not. The internet's just made everything more accessible to people. And so now we just see it on a more grand display. And and maybe some of that affects that. But the reality is there's always been evil and there will always be evil in this world. And there will always be people who oppose the message of Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, we need to understand there will always be people who oppose us. And Jesus promised us that. He said, don't be surprised when people oppose you. Don't be surprised when people hate you because they hated me. And if you're following me and if your life is looking more like my life as it should be, and as we've talked about the, the process of our lives looking more like Jesus's is the process of sanctification that we've talked about throughout this look at the books of First and Second Thessalonians. And the more and more our lives look like Jesus's life, the more and more opposition we're going to face. And he says, don't be surprised by it. You're going to, you're going to be opposed, but pray for us in that. And remember this, when you face opposition for doing what's right, and you will. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. When you face opposition for doing what's right, remember that God is greater. That God is greater. And there will be times that he allows you to endure suffering, and you will not understand why. And I'm not even giving you some some recipe that says, hey, do these things, and then all of God's plans will become crystal clear in your mind, and you'll understand completely why God allowed you to endure whatever it is that you've endured. I'm not promising you that, because that promise isn't given to us. In fact, I'm convinced there will be things that we die with not fully understanding, and we will wonder, God, why didn't you intervene when he clearly could have, and he chooses or he chose not to. But remember, even in the midst of those times, that God is greater than anything that we face. And he goes on and he says, and we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of God. Christ. Did you check that out? And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness to Christ. I would love to see the reaction if he wrote this letter to a church in America. I would just love it. We have confidence that you are doing and will do the things that you command. Freedom! Nobody can tell me what to do, right? That's the mindset. That's the mindset. And he says, no, 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 no. God has put us in your life to tell you what you should do. Because we want what's best for you. It's not an issue of freedom. It's not an issue of independence. It's an issue of God puts people in our lives who love God and who understand Scripture and who know more than us And he puts those people in our lives to mentor us and to help us grow. And we need to have people that we come alongside and we point out the truth to them as well. And what that means is that there are going to be times that we hear things we don't want to hear. 
And that means sometimes we're going to have to tell people things that they don't want to hear. And the, the question that all of us are faced with is when we are confronted with the truth of Scripture and it's something that we don't like, how do we respond? How do we respond? And what he says about the church in Thessalonica, and he, remember, he's had to correct their theology. He's had to tell some of them, you need, to, you, need to stop being, you need to stop being lazy. He's had to tell some of them, you need to get over your hurt. He's had to tell this church some really hard truths. And where does he come out on the conclusion of this? He says, we thank God because we know that you are doing what you should do. We know that you're listening to what God has told us to present to you. And we know in the process that you are becoming more like Jesus. So when people who understand the Scriptures and people who love us come into our lives, and when they confront us with the truth, our response as people who love and follow Jesus needs to be what? Well, first, test it with Scripture. Test everything. And then to make sure that our lives are becoming more and more like Jesus's. And what's the point of this? Why do, we, why do we confront people? Why do we speak the hard truths into people's lives? Well, he tells us that they would direct their hearts to love God and be steadfast. Because all of us are on a journey in life. All of us are on a journey in life. And as this year points out, and as we all know, the journey that we're all on is something that we haven't traveled before. And what do you do when you're traveling and you've never been somewhere before? You pull up your Maps app and your phone. Or if you've never encountered a smartphone, you hit up AAA or another travel agency and you buy a map. And you take out the highlighter. I'm telling you, it'd be easier if you just got a smartphone. But whatever, whatever you want to do. Whether you get a smartphone, you've got the maps that will give you turn-by-turn -turn direction, or you've got one of those GPSs that's the size of a concrete brick that's, on your, that's on, mounted on your windshield. Like, don't text and drive, but look at this GPS that's bigger than your windshield. That's fine for some reason. Lobbyists, okay? Or you go out and you get a, you get a map and you highlight. Whatever you need to do do, you get directions. And if you want to arrive at the proper destination, you follow the directions. And the same is true in life and in our journeys of following Jesus. It's okay not to have all the answers. It's okay not to know things. But we've been given the guide. And God puts people in our lives who speak truth and help us so that we arrive ultimately where Jesus would have us arrive. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. And let me sum up what he's saying here. 
What he's saying here is in your life, don't act like a teenager on the weekend. That's what he's saying. In your life, don't act like a teenager on the weekend. You ever been around teenagers on the weekend? If it's been a while, let me help you. Video games start as soon as school's over. There is a slight break. There is a slight break at about 6 p.m. And it's, hey, mom, can you order the pizza? Thanks. And then it's right back to the video games. And then once the pizza gets delivered, they pause, go down, grab a couple slices, load up on whatever favorite sugary energy drink they need because teenagers need more energy. (laughs) They come up, they take a bite of the pizza, no napkin, either on their shirt or on their jeans, and then they pick up the controller and leave a little greasy pizza residue all over the controller. And they hit, and then occasionally they'll pause, or after they've died in a battle, they'll take another bite of their food. And that is how you will find them, with the exception of quick restroom breaks and going back to get more pizza from the other side of the room. That is how you'll find them until 3 o'clock in the morning. And then the next, the next morning, they don't see They wake up until 1 p.m. And if you think I'm just picking on teenagers, I've been there. I've done it. I've lived this life. And the thing is, as you're a teenager, if you don't have a ton of like jobs that your mom or dad's going to make you do the next day, and listen, if you are a teenager, spoiler alert, it's always better if you can just kind of do those jobs independently. Because there, there is no worse job in the world, I'll tell you, and I've worked some of them. I, there's many a bathrooms I have cleaned. There is no job worse in the world than having to be your dad's gopher when he's working on a project. Oh, it's miserable. Because everything that goes wrong, even if you got the best dad in the world, everything that goes wrong on that project is your fault. You brought him the, you, you brought him the wrong tool, or you didn't hold something. And I'm not immune to it. I get it. I'm that way. I I was building something the other day, and I'm like, well, this stupid manufacturer who made this screwdriver, like, it's the manufacturer's fault that I couldn't use a screwdriver the right way. Seriously, no. But it can't be my fault. It's not me. It's not my problem. What he's saying is don't live your life like the typical teenager spends their weekend. It's It's fine for a weekend. It's fine for some rest. It's fine when when you're in that phase, but he says, don't be somebody who goes through life idle. Don't be somebody who goes through life idle. Don't be somebody who who always expects everybody else to take care of everything for them. And he says, don't expect a handout. He says, we could have. We could have conducted ourselves that way, but we wanted to show you that there is joy in work. Work is not a curse. Work is not a curse. And that's why I want to encourage you, especially if you're young, find something you love. Find something you love and pursue it. And maybe it's a trade or or maybe it's something that you're going to have to go and get a degree for, and that's great too. But whatever it is and however God has wired you, find something you love. Because when you find something you love, there will still be days where you're annoyed at work. but it beats the alternative of waking up every day miserable and going to a job you hate. So find something you love and understand that work is not a curse, that work is actually a gift that God has given us. 
So find something that you love and pursue it, and don't waste your life living idly. He goes on, it was not because we do not have that right. He says, we could have been lazy amongst you if we wanted to be. We could have done that. We could have said, hey, we're just going to take our time, and you can serve us. And, but he says, no, no, no. It was not because we did not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate for even When we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. He said we could have taken it easy and asked you to meet all of our needs, but we didn't do that. And notice what he's saying. Anyone who's not willing to work, let him not eat. And I want to draw a very important distinction here. I want to draw a very important distinction here. Because this can sound heartless, and this can sound cruel, and this can sound like, oh, well, aren't we supposed to care for the poor? And and where's the concern for people? I want to draw this distinction, which is very, very essential. Anyone not willing. There's a difference between willing and able. And there are people, as a result of no fault of their own, who have found themselves in circumstances where they are no longer able to provide. And we certainly, as a church and as a society, should have a safety net for those people who legitimately are not able to meet their needs. The problem is never about those not able. The problem is about those not willing. Not willing. And he says, if you're not willing to hurt, if you're not willing to work, well, here's, here's my philosophy. You don't eat. You don't eat. And here's the, here's the sad reality, that there are some people who are just lazy, and all they care about is everybody else's business. There are some people who are just lazy, and all they spend their time on is worrying about everybody else. That's how they spend all their time and all of their energy. And he's saying, as people who follow Jesus understand that God created us God created us with unique, with unique talents, gifts, and abilities. God has given us work as a gift, as a gift. And if you are able, you need to be willing. Not, not, to, see it, not to see it as something that you begrudgingly have to do, but to understand that it is an opportunity for you to live up to the way that God created and God designed you. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Do not grow weary in doing good. He says, don't get tired of doing good. Don't get tired of doing good. This is fascinating because, again, what that means is that doing good is tiresome. Doing good is tiresome. It takes energy. It takes effort. Serving people loving people, being available for people, encouraging people. It takes energy. It takes effort. It can be exhausting. He says, don't allow yourself to grow tired of doing good. There are going to be people who disappoint you. There are going to be people who take advantage of you. Don't grow tired of doing good. Be resolved. That no matter how people respond, no matter if people take advantage of you, and if they take advantage of you and they don't respond, well, well, obviously move on. 
but don't allow yourself to become jaded and throw in the towel because some people respond poorly. Because some people take advantage. He says, don't grow tired of doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Isn't that warm and cozy? Woo! Makes you feel good. What is he talking about? Is this a power trip? Is he power hungry? Is he just abusive? What, what in the world? Why would he say, why would he write this? Why, why would he arrive at this conclusion? If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So if anyone's lazy or promoting lies, or not actively living out the commands as we've seen to, to reveal the hope that they have in their lives. He said, don't spend time with them. Don't spend time with them. He said, don't hate them. It's not an issue of you hating them. But don't spend your time around such a person. And why is that? Well, again, we're on the heels of just, of what? Don't grow tired of doing good. And if you're doing good and somebody's lazy and not doing anything, if somebody's promoting lies, if somebody's not filled with hope and not living their lives as they should according to the mandates of Scripture. And again, these are all people inside the church. These are people inside the church. This isn't an appeal to, oh, you need to avoid anybody who doesn't follow Jesus. No, 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 no. What he's saying is for those who identify as people who follow Jesus, if their lives look like hell, even though they proclaim to be followers of Jesus, here's how you respond. You don't spend time with them. You don't hate them. You aren't mad and angry at them, but you warn them. And why? Well, this is driven by love. This is driven by love for those whose lives are being lived according to the mandates of Scripture. One, that you wouldn't be surrounding yourself with people who, again, are going to take advantage. With people who aren't going to be grateful. With people that are, frankly, toxic. Don't spend your time with those people. Instead, Love them. But not only is this going to tire you out and make it so that you grow tired in doing good, and he says, we don't want that. But it also has the potential to rub off on you. Cynicism is contagious. Cynicism is contagious. And if you put, every, if you put nothing but cynics in your circle, I promise you, I promise you, you will become cynical. And you will become jaded. And you will stop doing the very things God has called us to do. And you will be convinced in your own mind that you're right. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. 
The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. That we may remember that the life that God has called us to lead isn't always popular. There are going to be some who oppose it. There are going to be some who don't understand. There are going to be many who snicker. New question. But if we will follow God's standards, and if we will follow his mandates, and if we will allow our lives to look more like Jesus and less like us, we will experience peace. And as we look around, we see a lack of peace. And we see corporations and politicians trying to capitalize upon it and, off, and, and promising and offering. If you get this product, if you make this change, if you elect this person, then you will experience peace and you can experience hope. And it is a lie. Our only hope for peace is to be reunited with our Creator. And the life that God has for us is a life of peace. And the good times and the bad. This year has been incredibly difficult on a number of levels. Uh, collectively and personally. I've, I've never had the privilege of leading a church through a pandemic before. Uh, I'd be great if never had it again, frankly. Um, but the reality is, everybody on our team's done the best that we can. And I'm so thankful for the men and the women that I get to serve beside. I was reminded uh, this week, it's, it's been a year since uh, we had the privilege of extending an offer to Derek, and we make a lot of jokes about Derek, but man, I'm so glad God led him here and his family. Our, our business manager, Sean Schmiling, who keeps things running. The team of amazing, amazing volunteers. And I look back, and I think of all the challenges that this year has brought. And I think of all the goodness that God has done. The people who have connected, some of which we still haven't even seen because you've connected online on the stream and we would love to see your faces, but we're so glad that you're here. 
And we thank you for joining us in this journey. From your incredible generosity when the pandemic hit, and we're like, we got to start streaming. I'm like, I don't want to stream, but we got to start streaming. You guys raised over $10,000 in a week. Just to get all this equipment. And it wasn't a smooth process. Oh, let's be serious. Derek thought he was getting fired like six months. For six months, he's like, I don't know what's wrong with the sound this week, Brian. I don't know. And I'm like, figure it out, Derek. That's why we pay you. Come on. <laughs> but God's been good. We brought in, I don't even remember, over, over a ton of food, over literally a ton of food and fed. I don't remember how many thousands of people, but that your generosity is amazing. Why do I say all that? Because I can promise you this. If you will be faithful, and if you will follow God, I am living proof. This year is living proof that it has sucked in a number of ways, but this year is living proof and it is always going to be a reminder in my life if I ever would start to question, should I do it God's way? God, are you really, do you really got this? Are you really in control? I can look back to 2020 and without any doubt in my mind, I can tell you that God is real and he loves us and if we will follow his plan, he will give you a life of peace. And it doesn't get better than that. I promise you. God, help us live lives of peace. Hard times are here, and they're never going away. And God, while they might look different, I just pray that the lessons that you would have us learn would penetrate our hearts and our souls. That we would be reminded all of our days that you are in control. And we will face opposition and there will be times that we are tired and there will be times we want to quit and there will be times we want to give up. God, I pray in those moments we're just reminded all the more of our dependency upon you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. Thank you for this church and how it plays a part in your story. Thank you for the people of Lakeside. Help us all live lives of peace. In your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.